0: Welcome back to the Point Heads podcast, the practical guide for the casual reward traveler. In this episode, we explain how your lifestyle determines the value of a reward point and show how to compare points across different reward programs. We also dive deep into the factors to consider to help you decide when to apply for a credit card and which credit card is right for you.
1: I know after our last time, yeah, I'm definitely more into the credit cards now. (laughs) I feel like i would never thought about it in terms of optimizing return, like, uh, based on the rewards and like, after kind of thinking about that, now it's like, every time I go to the store, it's like, all right, which credit card do I use?
0: Yeah. So I wanted to just take a little bit of time. We've talked a lot about, we've said valuations a lot in the first couple episodes, and we also talked about transferable points. And so I just wanted to take a minute and just have a little bit of an example to explain what valuation means and then why transferable points are so valuable. So first with valuation, basically what valuation means is just how much money can you get from a reward point in a given program. And so an example that we had just recently, we were looking at hotels to stay at, and I'm gonna kind of round out some numbers to make it a little bit easier in this example, but it's a real life example. So there's two different hotels that we're looking at, and both of them cost, we can say $400. One was a Hilton hotel and one was a Hyatt hotel. And we wanted to use reward points to book it. The Hyatt cost, if we use just reward points with Hyatt reward points, it costs 20,000 reward points. The Hilton costs 60,000 reward points. And so since the dollar cost of the hotel is the same, that means that a single Hyatt point is three times more valuable than a Hilton point because you need 20,000 reward points if you book the Hyatt, but you need 60,000 reward points if you book the Hilton. And so when someone determines a general valuation of a reward program, basically what that means is they're just considering a bunch of these types of examples. Here's the dollar value. Here's how many points you need to book the reward trip for that dollar value. And they just kind of take the average And here's your valuation for that reward program. And the reason why they're always in cents is just to kind of make the values closer to whole numbers. So most programs will be between 0.5 and 2 cents per point and fluctuating somewhere in that region. So when you're thinking about valuations in your life, you basically want to select the examples that make sense for you and adjust the generic valuation accordingly. So in this case, if our goal was to book this hotel trip that costs $400, then our valuation for Hyatt is that those Hyatt points are worth two cents per point, the 20,000 points to get $400 of value on a hotel booking. And then the Hilton would be two thirds cents per point. So it's 60,000 points to get the $400 value. So three times more. And you can also kind of see this in how reward points are given out. So Hilton is much more generous with the points that they give out. If you look at just the sign-up bonuses or the credit cards that they have, the base Hilton credit card will give you three points per dollar spent compared to the Hyatt card will give you one point per dollar spent. But now that we know the valuations, it makes sense that why the Hilton would give you three times more because their points are worth three times less than the Hyatt points are. And so if you're not thinking about it in terms of valuation, you might look at those Hilton points and say, I can get three Hilton points if I do this, or I can only get one Hyatt point if I do this. But when you think about it in terms of valuations, then you know that's the same amount. So especially in our example, whether we get three Hilton points or whether we get one Hyatt point, it doesn't matter. It's the same. We just got to have to pick one and then go for it with our goal. And so that's kind of why we talk about valuation a lot and why it's important to understand and have an idea of what those points are, are valued
1: at. That's so does interesting. That, does that make any sense? It does. Actually, I have two questions. Actually, maybe just one question. Uh, I'm looking at Credit Karma. While you're talking about that, I, I Google credit card point valuations. And the first thing okay. that popped up was Credit Karma has a blog. Like essentially for every reward program, they provide that valuation of like points per mile in cents. And I see mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. Like Hilton is valued at like 0. 0.37, and I look at um, World of Hyatt, and it's like 1.55. Yep. Um, is this is Credit Karma a good place to go for finding this? Or, or do Credit you have Karma a is a good place.
0: There's there's a bunch. There. Credit Karma is pretty good. Uh, Nerd Wallet is pretty good. The Points Guy has one that he updates every month. The trouble with valuations is it kind of depends on what their strategy was when they determined it. And so last episode, we talked about like a lot of them will consider international flights and those are some of the best point values. So if if you're looking at a valuation that considers that, then it's a little bit skewed towards those higher values compared to, you know, if you're looking at just traveling domestically, it might be a little bit less.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So, yep, take valuations with a little grain of salt in the uh. Is that the right phrase, cringe? Yeah.
0: yeah, so so you did the right thing. If you search online and you find someone that's offering evaluation, valuation, generally they'll have a paragraph or two kind of explaining it. Um, so if you really are kind of interested and in, really want to dive in, you can read that paragraph and understand, is this relevant to how I'd use the points?
1: Gotcha. And it seems like a, um, I guess I didn't really consider this when I was looking at credit cards earlier, um, was maybe a good exercise is, like when you're thinking about doing a credit card, look at valuations, see how much the points are worth, and then factor in like, for example, like a credit card that has five X on a particular category, make sure that that five X actually translates to something valuable. If, if the yeah. points are worth less than five X is equivalent to a one X card that has higher value, like reward points. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So continuing on with the Hilton versus Hyatt, if you look at the Hilton credit card, the signing bonus will be you know, generally somewhere in like 130,000 points if you spend $3,000 and then the Hyatt credit card will only give you 50,000 points if you spend roughly in that same range. But if you do understand the valuation, then you understand that's really almost the exact same offer because the Hyatt points can get you more per point in terms of dollar and where you can stay, what kind of Hyatt's you can stay at versus the Hilton's. So the other point that I want to bring up is just using the same example to highlight the value of transferable points. We mentioned the big four credit card companies and why you know, it's maybe a good place to start with those four because of the transferable points. And so if we go back to this example where we have Hyatt and Hilton, we're looking at staying, let's say that we have a bunch of Chase Ultimate Reward points that we want to use for the booking. We've talked about the Chase Travel Portal before, where um, you mentioned that you can get 1.25 cents per point if you book directly on the Travel Portal. So for that $400 hotel, when you search for it on the Travel Portal, it'll say you can spend $400 or you can spend 32,000 points to book it. So If you have 32,000 Chase points available, you can just go ahead and book it right now. But let's say that you chose uh, between the two, you decided, okay, the Hyatt is one that's more interesting to me. I want to stay at the Hyatt. Hyatt happens to be a transfer partner with Chase and those points transfer one-to-one. And so instead of paying 32,000 points to book it, you know that if you book it directly on Hyatt's website, it only costs 20,000 Hyatt points. And so the power of the transferable points is that you can take 20,000 Chase points, and you can transfer those to your Hyatt account. And within a few minutes, they're available on your Hyatt account, and you can book the hotel on Hyatt, and you save 12,000 points just like that. And that's the true power of those transferable points is that you have multiple options how you can use them. So if you know, if I book directly on the Chase website, maybe the prices are cheaper. So maybe the $400 hotel maybe drops to $200 because of everything that's going on, then that 1.25 booking on the Chase transfer portal becomes a lot better deal than spending the 20,000 Hyatt points that it would cost to book directly on Hyatt. Or if the prices go up, now it's more advantageous to transfer them to Hyatt and book directly with the Hyatt reward points. And so you always kind of have those options. And we talked about that sliding scale. It really kind of depends on how bad do you want a better deal? So do you want to check Hyatt and do you want to check Chase?
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Cool. So the next thing I want to talk about is... How do you decide which credit card to sign up for? You know, they'll make your eyes all googly with those sign up bonuses, but you want to make sure that you can meet the spend associated with that. So, a lot of credit cards, you can get this much value out of it, but you have to spend this much money within this time period. And if that doesn't fit within your budget, it doesn't make sense for you to try to sign up for that card. There's a couple out there that the spend is up to like $10,000 or Sometimes $20,000 or uh, we haven't talked about the types of credit cards that are out there too much, but there's personal ones and there's business ones. And I know you have a small business that potentially makes you eligible for business cards, but a lot of the credit cards that are out there for businesses aren't really catered towards the small business or the sole proprietorship or the single member LLC that you're trying not to spend too much money Uh, I think the Chase Inc. business preferred card right now is they'll give you 100,000 points after you spend $15,000 in three months. And obviously, we both have a single member LLC that we use for our businesses, and that is not anywhere within our budget. So that is not a card that we're looking at to say this is one that we want to try to get right now for the signup bonuses. Maybe at some point it becomes lucrative to have, and we just ignore that there was a potential signup bonus. That's the number one thing you have to look at. Is that signup bonus worth it for you? And is it within your budget? Next are the rewards after that initial bonus worthwhile. So, you know, if you're going grocery shopping and going out to restaurants a lot, look for a credit card that can give you extra bonuses for those categories. You know, if you've got a big trip coming up, you don't have the points yet, look for a credit card that would maximize the cash back you get for that so that your next trip you can use those same points that you just got from your previous trip. Just a point to bring up is it's not bad to have a credit card that you plan on getting just for the sign-up bonus and then find out, you know, it just really doesn't work other than that and then canceling it. But you don't want to get into the habit of canceling every year the same set of credit cards that you've signed up for because you'll get flagged in the systems and there's so many people trying to abuse this points and miles game that the AI technology is looking for that abuse and you don't want to be flagged as one of the potential people doing it. For instance, we signed up for a Hilton card last December thinking we were going to go stay at a nice Hilton in Hawaii. And then COVID came and Hilton is, is basically worthless for us. Now, you know, that card turned out to be just, you know, we don't need Hilton points. We're not planning on staying at any more Hilton's after ABO trip that I mentioned that was coming up for us, hopefully, but we don't, we don't have any more plans for that. So that's a credit card that right now it's just worthless. So one thing that we can do is we can call them and say, Hey, you know, we planned on having this card and we planned on having it part of our daily lives And now we can't justify the annual fee. So the annual fee is $95. We can't get $95 out of this card anymore. And if you call them and you talk to them, sometimes you can do it online. They may offer you a retention bonus because obviously, as we talked about, they spent a lot of money to get you as a customer. It doesn't cost as much money for them to keep you as a customer as it does to try to get you back after you leave. So they may give a retention bonus And say, you know, how about we waive the annual fee this year? How about after spending this much on the card, we'll give you this many points? Will that help offset the annual fee? And then sometimes they might just say, you know, that's unfortunate. You can downgrade the card or you can cancel it and hopefully we'll see your business again later. But it never, never hurts to ask. And I think if you kind of come up with a story of why, why it's not valuable, why you thought it would be valuable, then it kind of prevents you from getting into that system in the rare cases that you don't want it. But really the point is that when you sign up for a card, I think it's ideal that you plan on keeping it for two years because that'll prevent you from getting it flagged. And if it's a really bad case that you want to cancel it after one year, hopefully that's an outlier rather than the norm and then you won't have any problem canceling that card. But the other thing is you need to be prepared to have that discussion sometimes and whether it's calling to ask about a retention bonus because you're not getting the value you wanted from the card or because there's something weird
1: with the system that you didn't get approved when you should have gotten approved for a card interesting I would have never thought about this is one of those things I think in like our times it's we don't really negotiate a lot and like being able to like talk to a person and realize that like the the fine print like the like what you read is not necessarily exactly what you get and there might be some room to kind of either kind of help yourself by communicating and getting feedback and take, it also helps to see that that relationship they are they're investing money in you to try to take you on. So there is, they want to retain you as a customer. So that, that's kind of, I guess that's good to know when you do have these conversations, you're not coming with zero, like no value. Like you are the value in that conversation.
0: Absolutely. So, and, and you're not talking, the people that you're going to be talking to, if you have to talk to somebody are the people that want to keep you as a customer. Uh, they have no stake in the game they're there to make you happy as customer service and so they want like you know obviously you can't be yelling at them or anything but if you ask and say this is what would be helpful for me it's their job really to make try to make that happen for you so you never never have to be shy about asking the worst they can just say is you know i looked it up and you're not eligible for anything
1: so so one question i have uh when I guess I'm curious about credit score, because I've got this kind of, I feel like it's been baked into me, this fear of closing any credit lines, because I'm just afraid that my credit score is going to be hurt <laughs> permanently, especially like my first credit card, because it's like having a long line of credit for many years is a factor that they count towards it. So I'm just kind of curious, like from your experience, I know you've closed, I think you've told me that you've closed a card before. I'm just curious, should you be afraid of that? Or like, what's the thought process around possibly closing credit cards? That's a great question. Um,
0: So you're exactly right that you want to think carefully before closing a card, especially if it's an older one. So last episode, we mentioned if you have a no annual fee credit card, and your finances are under control, there's really no reason to get rid of it. And that's because older cards can sort of act as an anchor to your credit. It's important to understand what makes up your credit score. So you have an idea how much closing a particular card might impact it. And similarly, if you decide to open one, what impact you might have. Um, So the biggest impact is payment history. We said last episode, the most important thing is Paying off your card every month. So, hopefully, those 100% on time payments are always boosting you. Next, most important is your credit utilization. How much debt do you have versus how much credit cards are offering you? Ideally, you keep this under 30%, and lower is always better. So, if your old card has a high credit limit and you get rid of it, your utilization will go up even though you haven't spent any more money. Next, most important is your length of credit history. So, again, this is another area where an old card definitely benefits you. Even if you only have one old card, it's pulling the average of your credit history in the right direction. Then finally, there's the total number of open accounts and your hard pools closing a credit card will reduce your total accounts. um, But usually this is nothing significant compared to the other areas. So it won't impact too much. Um, So again, looking at those three things, there's, there's three things that you can do that alter your credit. One is closing the old account. As you mentioned, it makes your credit utilization worse makes your credit history worse and your total accounts worse. So three bad things. If you close a newer account, um, it'll make your credit utilization worse, but it actually actually improves your credit history. So you might end up with a wash or just a minor impact. Um, and then finally, if you open a new account, it actually improves your credit utilization because now you've got access to more credit. Um, so even though it reduces your credit history, um, you'll improve your total accounts, even though you get the hard pool. So you end up kind of with two good things and two bad things and end up washing it. Um, I should mention that just like any score or test, there are tricks that make it work in your favor if you need to. So one of the benefits of credit karma, which we mentioned last episode is that they will go through each category in your report and give you tips, how to improve it. So that might be something that you'd want to look at before you decide whether you want to close or open a card.
1: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So you don't want to close your old cards, but theoretically, let's say you have a travel card and you you kind of get your use out of it. You have it for two years. It's got a limited limited credit age contribution, right? So it's yep. like, and if you have more than one, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not going to hurt as bad as yeah, if you closed your original credit card that you've been yeah. using for a lot long time.
0: Yeah. So if you if you open your card with the idea that you'll keep it for two years and then every two years you kind of reevaluate and say, do I have the cards that are best for me? Or really you can you can do it more often. You don't have to open a credit card every two years. You can just be aware of how much you can maintain. People have 20 cards out there. If that's overwhelming for you, don't have 20 cards. If you can manage 20 cards, go ahead and have 20 cards if you want. It all depends on kind of how much your mind can handle and what kind of services you have that are helping you out, so that your mind doesn't have to be overwhelmed with all the different cards that you have. But you know, if it's if it's just a couple cards, keep it at a couple cards every year or so. Evaluate and say, is there a new one for me? And again, it's as the sign up bonuses are the big thing. It's also possible, as we mentioned last week, that you can have too many points if you sign up for ten credit cards this year and get you know, let's say an average of thirty thousand points every time. Now you've got 300,000 points. If you're not traveling, those 300,000 points are just sitting there losing value for you. So you got to evaluate and say, you know, maybe when my point value drops or I've got a new vacation to plan, maybe that's when I start opening a card to meet those goals. But if I don't have anything in mind, maybe it's not a good time to open a new one. Let's just focus on earning rewards
1: on the ones that I have. Yeah, I'm in an interesting, I guess, uh, one point, my personal situation, I have to, I know I'm going to be replacing my water heater. So I'm torn because I see that I have a large purchase, which kind of fits nicely into that signup bonus. Mm -hmm. I don't really have any trips planned in the near term or or kind of like, (laughs) so yeah, I'm kind of torn on whether I should just pay for it with like one of my existing credit cards or maybe because the situation is happening and I have an opportunity to kind of like easily kind of achieve a signing bonus and I can find a card I like. Maybe it's just, I do that have points, even though they're going to depreciate in value, at least have gotten like 60,000 points maybe from from the purchase. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: that's, that's a situation where you don't want to just have some hard-coded number of what those points are worth in your head. So if you don't have any trip planned, the least amount, depending on what reward program you end up going for, is that those points are worth one. Because you just take the cash back or the cash back equivalent. You could potentially have less than one if you do some other things that are, are not quite as good. But you should always be ha- able to have some kind of cash back equivalent option for your points. And so maybe if you don't have a trip planned and you're looking at different options out there to help pay for your water heater and get some value back out of it, then uh, maybe you look at there's a 60,000 point offer out there. Let's just say it's a one-to-one ratio. That's $600 if you meet the minimum spend, let's say you have to spend $4,000 to get there, that's $600 off that $4,000 purchase. That's a, a significant amount off, even if you take the worst case scenario and take the cash back, assuming you can get cash back at a one-to-one ratio, or you know, there's gift card options, there's other options that are kind of within that one-to-one ratio. And so you know, maybe you look at those reward points and say, everyone says they're worth 1.7, I can't travel right now, I don't think I'm gonna use them for travel. I'm going to take the 600 bucks and then it's a bonus. If you can use it for more than 600, that's a bonus. You weren't planning on doing it. It's good value for you then. That's where it's it's really all about understanding your situation and what works for you. You can't look at someone else's situation and say, that makes sense. Someone could say, you know, these points are worth 5% or 5 cents per point because I'm going to take this, you know, first class trip to Singapore And I'm going to get great value for it. And you're like, I'm not going to go to Singapore. I'm not going to get anything close to that value.
1: So that's not the same value that I should expect to get from it. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. (laughs) Decent number of factors. But I think this this conversation has definitely helped me think about or maybe have the right kind of framework for thinking about which card and looking at rewards. Yeah, Hmm. I guess just summarizing, I've got like things that takeaways that I've gotten from this are looking at my current credit cards and seeing whether we're spending like whether they align with our current habits and then we also talked briefly about this is a side note but like look taking advantage of those kind of like temporal rewards so like it'd be kind of cool if chase has like a temporary offer that's like home depot gives you (laughs) like a certain cash back that yep moving into a new house that'd be pretty convenient (laughs) i guess one area i get a little lost is uh, the transfers and this is probably just going through each card in more detail but understanding their transfer partnerships like their partnerships are essentially a big selling point of why you would want that card and maybe like what you talked about like Singapore Airlines that could be something where maybe that credit card has a relationship with Singapore Airlines and so like their transfer gives you a good value and that's the kind of stuff that I find a little hard to to navigate or or kind of figure out <laughs> yeah and, uh, and we can we can go into
0: details about that later once we're ready to travel. But right now, just to to keep in mind that having the transferable points when you don't have any specific plans is probably your best course of action. If you have specific plans, you can take advantage of, I think you mentioned Delta at some point and Delta just came out with a new credit card where they doubled their bonus. And so if you had a plan to fly Delta, that's a great card. For us in Chicago, Delta doesn't have a lot of great options out of Chicago. Delta points to us are a lot less value they would be to someone in atlanta or someone in michigan so
1: saying that makes sense yeah delta would be yeah that's interesting how depending on our both our situations yeah delta would be valuable to me because i'd want to like essentially go back to i've got family in michigan so it works out pretty well yeah
0: so i'd say uh, the next steps for you are to dig in a little bit deeper and look and see is it the right time you mentioned the water heater? The other thing that we should mention is when you have these sign-up bonuses, if you decide it's the right time to sign up for a card, pay for the water heater and other big expenses that you have coming up. If you, we mentioned don't spend beyond your means, but one of the nice things about having the sign-up bonus is we mentioned, you know, it's essentially, even if it's a one-to-one, it's $600 off your $4,000 that you're spending. If you have to pay a credit card fee for something that generally doesn't take credit cards, That's the best time to do it. So if you're, you mentioned your water heater, if they don't take credit cards, they give you a 3% processing fee. Generally, it's not worth that 3% because you can't get 3% back with any kind of rewards that you'd get from that purchase. But if you have a sign up bonus available, that's the time where that 3% is a lot less than the 10 to 15 to 20% that you're essentially getting back because of the the sign up bonus that you get once you hit that minimum spend. That would that would be the time where if you can group those kind of purchases together, sign up for a credit card, take advantage of those, then you're getting a lot of value and being able to still put those on your credit card versus paying for them straight out of your bank account.
1: Starting to feel like I could come up with like an equation or do an analysis with some assumptions and just see it'd be kind of fun to go through some of those scenarios and see exactly. Like the fee, the credit card fee thing, seeing exactly how like 3%, the impact on the signing bonus might be less. Like maybe you lose like, instead of getting, yeah, 20% back, you get 17% and it's still very good. So
0: yeah, definitely interested in exploring that. Yeah, absolutely. And me as a numbers person, that's that's where this whole thing has kind of intrigued me and kind of to say what's valuable. But the main thing that you can't really automate is just what does it mean to you? And if you're getting all of these different awards, if you're not going to be using them, even though you know about them and you could be, if they aren't really adding value to your life, then it's not worth it. So you want to find the ones that actually are adding value to your life and giving you the potential to add value to your goals as well. That resonates. Cool. All right. So let's plan on, uh, we can go and explore the credit cards and find the bonuses. You can you can always find the available credit cards directly on Uh, offers websites. So chase.com, americanexpress.com. You can also find credit cards that are specific to, I guess, to continue, I should say Capital One. And what's the one that I missed? City. Oh, City? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) City. (laughs) But yeah, you can also find the frequent flyer programs on their websites as well. And sometimes they will offer different signup bonuses. If you are, go through your account that you have existing with them, you'll find a higher sign-up bonuses that's targeted directly for you from the, your frequent flyer program or your hotels program. Most of the blogs will have other offers that they get. Sometimes they're just the same as the public. Every once in a while, they might have a custom one specific referral links just for that blog that would be higher. There's offers all over the place and so you really just kind of want to browse around again it goes to how much work do you want to put in at some point there's diminishing returns that you don't want to find the single hundred thousand point offer if it takes you seven days to find it versus just you know the ninety thousand point offer that you can just find today and be done with it and not have that additional stress searching
1: you did mention card match with the the platinum card that you guys got was that through uh The credit card website, or was that a separate service?
0: It's through creditcards.com. And if you just search for a card match, it'll be the first thing that pops up. There's a couple of different blogs that have blogged about it, and they'll go step-by-step how to do it. But it's pretty straightforward. You just put in your details. Uh, If you have a frozen credit, make sure you unfreeze your credit, or you won't see any offers. So unfreeze your credit, wait for at least an hour, do the card match. It's a good place to start. I am in love with American Express, and it's a very one-sided relationship because American Express loves my wife and she's the one that got the hundred thousand point offer and I wanted it so bad and they never give me anything worthwhile. But I guess we still love the same person. So it's, it makes things even more awkward. But yeah, through card match, my wife has gotten incredible American Express offers. I've gotten nothing, interesting ever from card match. So I don't know how they decide who they want to love and who they want to give great offers to, but probably a good place to start because you'll see everything in one spot. And then beyond that, really just searching for the credit card companies is a good place to start to see what op- options they
1: have. Awesome. So I'll, I'll start there. I guess one of the one that just raised one more question talking about credit card fees freezes, right? There's like three credit bureaus. And I know when I was getting a mortgage for this house, Uh, we asked them specifically like which credit bureaus do I need to lift or like essentially lift my credit freeze on. Mm -hmm. And I saw like, it was like TransUnion and Equifax. Do you know, I imagine maybe they say which credit bureaus they check, or maybe it's all three. I want to say that it's all three.
0: I think Experian is probably more common, but I don't think there's any way to guarantee that it would be one versus another. Um, But also another thing is if you have an existing relationship oftentimes they'll target you for special offers. So since you already have the Chase Preferred, you might go on chase.com and in the top left, there's a little star. You click on the little star and it'll say target offers just for you, something like that. And you can see... Are they targeting you for anything? And so as we mentioned last time, you know they might be giving you an extra special bonus to get one of their no annual fee cash back cards. But yeah, every, everyone has the same, American Express has the same thing if you have the American Express. And if you take one of those, they might not even need to pull your credit because they've already targeted you out
1: As we want more of your business. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So I'll actually I'll start with probably my, my credit card providers, see what happens there and then take, I'll take a look at it all. Yeah. It's always good to kind of browse around. It's good. Yeah. You can, and you can use blogs.
0: There's the frequentmiler.com. I think is really good because they, at least they claim that they're giving the best public offer that they found. So it's a good place to start because even if they're not getting a referral fee, you clicking on it, it should be the best one that you can find publicly. So potentially you're getting better offers privately. But if if anyone's found it, in theory, it shows up on their website as long as they're aware of it.
1: Okay, cool. Try that one too. Frequent Miler. Speaking of the
0: Platinum card from American Express, they say a 100,000 points right now.
1: I just spent the whole time talking
0: about this <laughs> thing that you can never find. And, you know, you click, got it? Hold on, I'm going to click it to apply, and I'm sure it's not going to say 100,000 points. Sarah has referred to you for the platinum card. Holy cow, It's a hundred thousand points.
1: Is it? <laughs> now you need to make a decision Now, mark. <laughs> now, we,
0: have to, now we have to edit the whole podcast. <laughs> hundred thousand points that everyone can get. <laughs> we thought we were special. And episode 3 is in the books. If you have questions about today's content, find us on Twitter at Pointheads or send an email to podcast at pointheads.com. Everything discussed here is the sole opinion of Mark and Charlie. We are not receiving compensation
1: for any of the products or ideas mentioned in today's episode.